for those of you that may be just joining us for the first time, we're in a series of messages about these beatitudes that were given by Jesus, and we have arrived at the seventh of the eight beatitudes, and we'll be looking at that in just a moment. I want to encourage you to be back tonight. We have a service at 6 o'clock tonight, and we're beginning something new uh, this evening. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms, and this entire summer series, 12 weeks, weeks long, is uh, Psalms for the Summer. That's the title of the series, Psalms for the Summer, or a Summer of Psalms. And we're going to be looking at some of our favorite psalms. Aren't we thankful for the book of Psalms? How many times do we turn to the book of Psalms uh, in different moments of our lives, and we find expression for our prayers, uh, we find expression for our songs, we find expressions for our grief, uh, we find expressions for our concerns and worries, and we're going to be looking at some of those psalms, and tonight uh, we're going to begin that series. You don't want to miss that very first one uh, from 6 o'clock until 7 o'clock. We spend just an hour together, and I want to encourage you to be back with me this evening. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 3 and down through verse 12. I'm reading from the New King James Version. You may be reading from a different translation, uh, but you'll see how they match up. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before us. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask now that as we turn our attention to your word, that you will speak to our hearts. And Lord, we arrive at this seventh beatitude, just one more after this to go. And I pray, Lord, that many of us have memorized this text of scripture. I know I've worked on it diligently over these last several weeks. And I pray that there are many who have done that, and I pray, Lord, that this, this text, these Beatitudes will become a part of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just to sort of review for a moment and bring you up to speed with where we are today, the first four Beatitudes focus primarily on our weakness and our need for Christ. The second four focus more on the change that happens in us because of Christ. In the first four Beatitudes, we come to Christ poor in spirit, sorry for our sin, humbly submitting to God and longing to grow. And as a result, God changes us, right? But he makes of us that we would be merciful, that we'd be pure in heart, that we'd be peacemakers, and that we'd be fellow sufferers with Jesus Christ. And so you see how these Beatitudes work together and how the first four give birth to the second four. Now, I have to begin by just telling you something that I want you to know by way of introduction, and that is that this particular beatitude that we're talking about today is difficult. It's a challenge for me 
to be able to describe to you so that you don't go away with a wrong idea about what it means to be a peacemaker. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. But I don't want anyone to go away thinking that being a peacemaker means just going along with anything in order to keep the peace. This beatitude doesn't mean that we should avoid all conflict and confrontations. It doesn't mean that we should seek peace at any cost. It doesn't mean that we should compromise the truth when surrounded by those who disagree with us. In other words, there's a time and a place and a way to fight for what is right, and if we don't, we're more pacifists than we are Christians. Let me say it to you again. There is a time, a place, and a way to fight for what is right, and if we don't, we are more pacifists than we are Christians. I remind you of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 8, where the Bible says there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time of peace. And there's a time for us to stand up There's a time for us to be heard, and there's a time for us to fight in the appropriate and right way. It could be the gay agenda. You remember just a few years ago when the Supreme Court decision came down and gay marriage was legalized across the United States. What they said to us, those in the homosexual community, is that we just want the right to be married. We just want the same legal protections of marriage. But the reality is it was a Trojan horse, and inside were all of these other things that were included in their agenda, and none of us were surprised by that, but we're watching it unfold before us. Or it could be the transgender ideology. I don't think any child should be talked to about these matters. This is not something for the school teachers and the secular society around us to be dealing with. Uh, This is something that's appropriate for parents to talk to their children about, and certainly you don't introduce it to young children and try to convince them that somehow they could be one of several different genders. There is no true scientist in this room who believes there are multiple genders. God made them either male or female. Or there's the abortion on demand. Uh, where it's used as little more than a matter of birth control because I, I, I have done something that, that I regret doing and I'm in a circumstance where I don't wish to be or I don't want to have a child to raise and they abort a child. Or there's the demise of the family. The demise of the family. Have you watched as Satan has put his bullseye on the family over the last two or three decades? in the destruction of marriage, in the destruction of the nuclear family? Have you seen it unfolding? People say, why do we have mass killers? Well, it may be that there's a number of things that play into that, but can I tell you fundamentally at the very core level, it is the dissolution of the family in the absence of fathers in the home to raise their own children. Uh, It could be drugs and alcohol abuse. And how much do we see of that in our own area? We became sort of a center place in the whole country because of the amount of of drug abuse that was taking place in our country. And then we as a nation approve uh, the legalization of pot as if it's not going to affect the next generation. 
It's absolutely going to affect them. It's already affecting their brains. It will change them forever. Or it could be a number of other issues like racism. There is no place for racism in our society. Do you realize that the body of Christ is the answer to racism? It's the Lord Jesus bringing us together regardless of the color of our skin or our economic background or what nation we were born in. He brings us together as one body and we love each other and we respect each other. These are all areas and more like them where Christians cannot be silent just in order to avoid conflict so that they can keep the peace. These are matters that demand that we earnestly contend for the faith and that we speak the truth in love. These are places where we don't buy into the common mantra that says, if you disagree with me on one of these issues, you're a hater. I don't hate anybody. I love people. I want to see them come to Jesus. I want to see their lives changed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it won't be changed if we're silent about these matters and we fail to confront them and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The new United States ambassador to China is a man by the name of Nicholas Burns. He was appointed April the 1st, 2022. And you understand that his job is to speak to the government of China on behalf of our country. Mr. Burns may want to maintain peace with the country where he works, but he cannot do so at the expense of the country for which he works. He has no authority in China that does not come from Washington. And in a similar way, believers are actively working as peacemakers, but they cannot make peace contrary to the gospel or make peace contrary to the scripture or make peace contrary to Jesus. I remind you just a page over in your Bible in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. He said, you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we are here not making up our own rules where we can concede and not concede. We're here as ambassadors of Christ. We are as citizens of a heavenly kingdom, and he's placed us here to be salt and light in the world in which we live. This is important because the world would like it if the church would roll over and take whatever terms they offer us, sacrificing truth on the altar of a one-sided peace. But that's not peace. Peace is always founded on truth. And where truth is ignored, there will never be the kind of peace that the Bible's talking about. It was the famous Baptist preacher of London, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who once said, the verse which precedes this beatitude, the one we're studying today about peacemakers, speaks of the blessedness of the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It is well that we should understand this. We are to be first pure, then peaceable. Our peaceableness is never to be a compact with sin or an alliance with that which is evil. We must set our faces like flints against everything which is contrary to God and his holiness. That being in our souls a settled matter, he says, we can go on to peaceableness towards men. Some of you will remember the name Andy Rooney. 
Andy Rooney passed away a number of years ago, uh, but he's most familiar to many of you because of the 60 Minutes television broadcast. Every Sunday evening, that news magazine broadcast, and he was always bringing some aspect of, of that news magazine to us. Well, he was remembering his education at Colgate University in the years that preceded World War II. And he said he recalled hearing one of his philosophy professors argue strenuously that any peace is better than any war. And Rooney said he bought into that line at first. But years later, he discovered how false it was when he vis visited Buchenwald for the very first time. For those that don't know, that's a Nazi concentration camp. He went on to say, some things are worth fighting for and against. Some things are worth fighting for and against. There are principles, truths, and values that are worth fighting for and evils that are worth fighting against. Being a peacemaker does not allow for the sacrifice of these things for the sake of peace. Peacemakers don't make peace that knowingly allows wrong to triumph and truth to suffer when it's in their power to do something about it. In living in a democracy, we have freedom of speech. Amen? And we have the freedom to vote. Amen? We're not talking about whether we're Republicans or Democrats or independents. We're talking about where the culture wars intersect with the moral truths of Scripture. The church has an obligation to speak about those things, even if they're misunderstood at times, about those very things. So now that you understand better what God isn't saying in this beatitude when he calls on us to be peacemakers, just to roll over and make peace with everybody and let everything just go. Don't get upset about anything and don't fight for or against anything. That isn't what this beatitude is referring to. So the question is, then what is he saying to us? Well, the word peacemaker indicates something that's active, not simply being peaceable or a peaceableness. In other words, he didn't say, blessed are the peace lovers. I grew up in the 60s and the 70s. <laughs> Remember Nixon? The 60s and the 70s, the circle with the peace symbol in the middle. Yeah, I grew up in the 60s. We're peace lovers. Hey, I love peace. But you realize that we have to do more than just love peace? Not only did he not say that we're not just peace lovers, that we're not peace lovers, he said he didn't say here that we're to be peacekeepers. That's what law enforcement does, and aren't we thankful for them? They are peacekeepers, and sometimes to create the peace, they have to go in and excise the criminal. Matter of fact, I hope they do it every time. They have to go in and excise the criminal for there to be peace in those situations. But when we're talking about peacekeepers, that's not what he's talking about either. Not peace lovers, not peacekeepers. I was thinking this past week about North and South Korea. There's a DMZ, a demilitarized zone in North, Korea, in North and South Korea, between North and South Korea. You know that there's UN troops on the south side. There's uh, North Korean troops on, on the north side. And 
It's almost, uh, what, 150 or 60 miles long, this DMZ zone, and, you know, it's a great distance between the two. And why do you have troops there if there is peace between North Korea and South Korea? The reason is because you got to make sure that they keep the agreement that they made almost 70 years ago, 1953, almost 70 years ago, they have to have somebody there that keeps the peace. I'm not talking about being a referee in a fight in the sense that you're just calling, you know, that's allowed, that's not allowed, and just trying to keep the peace. Then, then what is he talking about? If we're not supposed to be just peace lovers and peacekeepers, what does he mean? We're to be peacemakers. Well, to be a peacemaker refers to those who make peace, who bring it into existence. It's an active involvement that confronts the problem or problems and works through to a satisfactory reconciliation. The peacemaker is a mediator working to resolve problems between estranged parties. Instead of fanning the flames of strife, the peacemaker uses his or influence and wisdom to reconcile parties that are at odds and restore them to a state of unity. Do you understand what I'm saying? And for the most part, this is about interpersonal relationships, uh, disciples of Christ within his church, maybe within a small community, between a family that's having conflict in their midst. There has to be somebody who operates as a mediator who goes into the midst of this difficult circumstance and says, listen, listen we've got to come together, we've got to find the truth here, and then we've got to go forward without all of this arguing and fighting and fussing and fuming. Please note again that this peace must be made. It must be made. Peace never just happens by chance. Someone has to bring those in conflict to the table and give them reasons to resolve their issues. And the person who does that is the peacemaker. While the word peacemaker is a noun, here in verse 9. Uh, what he's saying to us is that there's got to be somebody who makes the peace. You turn it into a verb. Somebody who makes the peace. Somebody who goes in and says, I'm going to pull the two warring factions together and say, listen, we've got to work this out. This is not good for either of you, and this is not good for those around you, and we have got to find a way to go forward together. Now, that theme of being that kind of a peacemaker, especially in the interpersonal relationships or the smaller communities, if God gives you a place in, uh, you know, of leadership in, in, a world, uh, you know, in a world fashion, then hopefully you'll use that responsibility, use that place of privilege, you'll use it for the same purpose. But do you understand that this kind of peacemaking is found throughout the Bible? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Or James chapter 3, verse 18, listen to what he says. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Those who make peace. Or Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Or Psalm 34, verse 14, seek peace and pursue it. Or Romans 14, 19, therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things, which one, the things by which one may edify another. In other words, Jesus 
is all about us becoming peacemakers. Not just some of us, but about all of us. Because all of us have influence with some people, and we can be peacemakers in given situations. He has in mind here divisions that are affecting interpersonal relationships. The thrust here is about reconciliation amongst disciples of Christ or members of a church or families or friends or small communities of people. Somebody that walks in and says, look, we can't keep doing this. I want to find a way to make peace. Now, peace can never be at the sacrifice of truth. But we're not talking necessarily at this moment about areas where truth is involved. We're talking at this moment where the areas where people just don't get along with one another. Do you have anybody with whom you have trouble getting along? I mean, other than your husband or your wife. <laughs> do you have anybody that you have trouble getting along? Sure you do. Now, for the most part, this goes on and you don't have to worry about those things. But when it boils up and becomes a major issue, then it becomes something you have to deal with. Somebody has to help bring peace in those circumstances. And think how this works itself out within the apostles themselves. Think about how it works themselves out, Jesus being the ultimate peacemaker. Think about how it works itself out. On the one hand, you've got Matthew. Matthew is what? He's a tax collector. He's a Jew, but he's a collaborator with Rome, and he's taking money from his own people. Some of it he's keeping for himself Others of it he's sending on to Rome, but he's collaborating with Rome. They were some of the most hated people of the day. You know, sort of like you feel at tax time around April 15th, the IRS. and some, <laughs> you, you don't feel that way? <laughs> you know, they were some of the most hated people because of the dishonesty of the way they conducted themselves. On the other hand, one of the other apostles of Jesus was Simon the Zealot. Do you know what a zealot is? They were a group of revolutionaries who fomented rebellion against Rome. And ultimately, they precipitated the war against Rome in AD 66 to 70. I mean, on the one hand, you've got one disciple who's collaborating with Rome and the other who's fighting against Rome. And yet Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker, comes and calls them to follow him and brings peace between two men who are on totally different paths. You follow what he's saying? That's a peacemaker. That's a peacemaker. You realize that the only time this noun for peacemaker is used is right here in chapter 5, verse 9. But it is used as a verb, turned into a verb one other time. And I want you to see it with me. Keep your place in Matthew 5 and go over to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to see this word. It's no longer in the noun form. It's now in the verb form. And I want you to see what he says, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Who is him? That's Jesus. The Father was pleased that all the fullness of the Godhead would be in Jesus. Verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made, here's the verb form, peace through the blood of his cross. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus reconciles man to God. Now, please understand something. God doesn't need reconciliation in the way we need reconciliation. God is perfect. 
He's absolutely holy. There is no sin in him whatsoever. The ones who are estranged from God are you and me. We are the ones who need to be reconciled to God. But what does God do? God sends his own son, Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus do? Jesus gives his life on the cross of Calvary. He sheds his blood. He sacrifices his body. He takes the penalty, the full weight of our sins on himself, and he pays the penalty for us. He gives up the spirit. They put him in a tomb, and three days later, he comes out victorious. And 40 days later, he ascends back to the Father. And now anyone who comes to Jesus is what? They are reconciled to God. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. They are reconciled to God. That's what a peacemaker does. He steps into the middle of something that's difficult and tries to bring reconciliation. And Jesus is the example of that. And why in the world would you want to be a peacemaker? Because he says here in chapter 5, verse 9, you'll be called sons of God. Sons of God. You understand what that means? When uh, my kids were growing up, I, I can remember a commercial that was on TV. Many of you will remember. It was about a, a father and a young son. And they were walking, if, if I remember right, uh, across a, a field of some kind. And the father sits down next to a tree and he extends his legs, leans up against the tree, crosses his feet. And the little boy is trying to copy his father exactly. And so the little boy leans up against the tree and he stretches out his feet and he crosses them over just the same way that daddy does. And then daddy reaches into his pocket and he pulls out what? A packet of cigarettes. And daddy reaches in and he pulls out one and he puts it in his mouth and he lights it up. And then he takes the package of cigarettes and he lays it down there beside him. And the little boy then picks up the package of cigarettes and begins looking at them. And then across the screen it says, like father, like son. Now that's a negative example. But can I tell you a positive example? Every time you get involved in helping to bring peace between people who are warring factions against each other, when you seek to not wait for the peace to come, but you actively get involved to try to bring about the peace, if it's possible to bring about the peace, he says, then you're acting like the Father. You're acting like Christ. You're acting like the God you say you follow. That's what he intends for us to do. I mean, after all, Jesus is the giver of peace. John chapter 14, verse 27 He's the maker of peace, Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. He's the Lord of peace, 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. He's the prince of peace, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And when his children are working to bring peace, hey, listen, <laughs> there are a lot of troublemakers. When we're working to bring peace, what's the reality? Like father, like son. You will be called the sons of God, not the troublemakers. I've had plenty of those. You've had plenty of those over the course of your lives, haven't you? Not the troublemakers, the peacemakers, the one who are actively working to bring peace in a difficult situation. Now, there are four ways in particular to be a peacemaker, and I have to move through these quickly. We should seek peace, first of all, within ourselves, and then with others, and then between others, and then between others and God. Did you hear that? 
We should seek peace within ourselves, with others, between others, and between others and God. First of all, within ourselves. Within ourselves. A peacemaker first has to know that in his own soul, he is at peace with God. Now, that happens immediately. The moment you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're at peace with God. But you realize sometimes your peace gets disturbed by the way that you're living, and you lose the sense of that peace that you have with God. A few years ago, there was a lavish new resort that opened in the Caribbean. I never know whether to say Caribbean or Caribbean. So it's going to be Caribbean today. The owner was an, inc an incurable perfectionist, and he fussed over every single detail. And one of his problems was with the sliding glass doors that he'd installed in his hotel. People kept running into the clear glass. Don't, don't laugh. You may be you next. His solution was to order the word peace etched on the glass doors. But to solve one problem was to pose another. Should peace be read from the outside or the inside? And that's a good question, isn't it? But do you understand that the Bible speaks of peace in both ways? And until there is peace in you, there will never be peace around you. I'm not going to ask you to turn to it, but you might want to write it down. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You hear what he says? Troubled people who are troublemakers are troubled people. Just think Johnny Depp or Amber Heard. People who are troublemakers are troubled people. And until there's inside peace, you're right with God, you're in fellowship with God, you're walking with God, and there's a peace between you and God, not your peace of salvation, but your peace of fellowship. As long as you're at war within yourself, you will be at war with those that are around you. The next time somebody approaches you and just, not technically, but figuratively wants to poke you in the nose... Just stop and remember, the greater problem isn't what they're trying to do to you. The greater problem is what's going on within themselves. Maybe you heard the story about a man that was stranded on a desert island. He lived alone there for several months until finally a search party found him. And when the rescue boat arrived, the captain noticed that there were three huts on the island. The captain asked, what are those huts? And the castaway pointed and said, that's my house and that's my church. And the captain asked, well, what's the third one over there? The castaway answered, oh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> Even when you're the only one on the island, if there's no peace within, you'll be at peace somehow with those that are around you, even if they don't exist on an island. If you're warring inside yourself, you won't be at peace even as a castaway. That's what the songs that we sing mean when we sing songs, nothing between my soul and the Savior, naught of this world's delusive dreams. Secondly, we should seek peace with others. Within ourselves, we should pe seek peace with others. We should work at making peace with others. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, if it is possible, and it's not always possible, there are going to be people in your life that will not allow you to live with them peaceably and peacefully. If it is possible, Romans 12, 18, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It's not always possible, but when it's possible, you do so. If you've done wrong, then you need to make it right. And if the other person has wronged you, then you need to forgive them. When we're not at peace with somebody else, it can even affect our worship of God. Now, I'm going to tell you something that Mary and I have experienced over the years. We have watched in churches, in our church, when somebody who was at odds with somebody over here, and I don't mean literally here and here, though it might be true, maybe God's pointing you out. (laughs) Who should I start with? (laughs) We have literally watched it when people who were at odds within a church decided that they were going to be peacemakers, come together and find peace between themselves, that revival took place in the church. I've, I've watched it. I've watched during the invitation when people would leave the pew, they would go to the other side of the auditorium or maybe to the back side of the, you know, back in the back of the pews, and they'd go to somebody and say, I am so sorry for what I said, for what I did, for how I acted. And the two reconcile, and I have watched, am I not telling the truth? I have, we have watched revival take place in those churches. You realize that when you're out of sorts with other believers, I don't mean you just disagree with them. I don't mean you just see things a little differently than they do. But when you're out of sorts with other, believer, other believers, it affects your own spiritual life and your own spiritual journey. It affects your ability to be able to worship God effectively. Look at chapter 5. Look over to verse 23. Just same, same chapter we're reading from, same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what he says. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. Your brother's got something against you. You leave your gift at the altar. Middle of verse 24. First, first, not second, not third, Before you come to worship, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, as much as that is possible for that peace to be created, that peace to be made, as much as it lies within you to do that, then you should do that. And revival will come. And you have to do that in the right way. You have to use wisdom. You have to be gentle. You have to have loving confrontation when those things are necessary. Proverbs 15, verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Jay might be able to tell me better than I can think of it, but I remember the day that a baseball player had just had this incredible home run, and it was the New York Yankees, I think, that were playing this team. And... um, the umpire looked at his bat. The, the pine tar was way up here. It was way up above where it was supposed to be. What was his name? George Brett. George Brett. I got another J over here somewhere. <laughs> George Brett. And when they call him, the umpire goes, mm, out. Mm. You, ever, you ever seen it? He said, out. And what does George Brett come out doing? <laughs> I 
You've seen it, hadn't you? Hey, that's not the way you make peace. <laughs> that's not the way. And in that situation, that's different. But that's not the way you make peace. There's got to be gentleness. There's got to be compassion. There's got to be wisdom in how you go about it. I'm going to skip forward. We have to seek peace between others. And this is where the, this is where the beatitude primarily focuses its attention between people who are at opposition to one another. At the heart of this beatitude is to be a peacemaker, making peace between people who are in conflict with one another. I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, and I'm reading from the New International Version. But listen to what it says. Be completely humble and gentle. And that's going to take some of us a lot of spiritual getting before we get there, right? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Keep the unity. Do you realize how much effort it takes to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace? That may well mean intervening when two parties are at odds and doing what you can to bring them back into fellowship with one another. But if you want to get an idea of how it's supposed to be accomplished, just, just think about Philippians chapter 4. There's two women in the church at Philippi that are at war with each other. It could have been two men. Ladies, don't get upset. could have been two men. There's two women that are at each other's throats. What does Paul do? Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He says, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Synergy, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also. Now he's going to invite other people in. I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, look, ladies, let's get it together here. Let's have peace. Come on, you guys. Come on, come on. Let's get this thing together. You help them. We help to bring peace between others. May I just stop here for a moment? It, <laughs> you don't make peace when you're gossiping. I, I love it when somebody says to me, he says, do you really want to know? If you really want to know, just sit down and I'll, I'll tell you what, what you, you know, what I want you to know. Do you really want to know? When somebody says that to you, turn around and walk off. Because all they want to do is gossip. They want to slander. They want to backbite. Are you all with me? One of the unforgettable images of the Vietnam War is the photograph of that nine-year-old girl named Fan T. Kim Phu. During a battle between North and South Vietnamese troops, an American commander ordered South Vietnamese aircraft to, to drop napalm bombs on her tiny village. Two of her brothers were killed, and she was burned badly, wearing no clothes. She fled up the road toward the cameraman. Because of the pain, her arms are held out sideways, and her mouth is opened with a cry of agony. According to the New York Times, Miss Kim Fu uh, suffered third-degree burns over 50% of her body, but she lived. She endured 14 months of painful rehabilitation and scores of skin grafts. It was so painful to have her wounds washed and dressed that she often lost consciousness whenever, they, whenever she was touched. Since then, 
Many years have passed. Since then, she has married, immigrated to Canada, and become a Christian. She found the New Testament, read the New Testament, and came to faith in Christ. Her burned skin lost sweat and oil glands, and she is still in much pain. Scars stretch up her arms and to her chest and back. But despite her past and present suffering, in 1996, she accepted an invitation from several Vietnam veterans groups to join in Veterans Day ceremonies held at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, where she laid a wreath and spoke words of forgiveness. She told an audience of several thousand who greeted her with two standing ovations, quote, I have suffered a lot from both physical and emotional pain. Sometimes I could not breathe, but God saved my life and gave me faith and hope. Even if I could, t- even if I could talk face to face with the pilot who dropped the bombs, I would tell him, we cannot change history, but we should try to do good things for the present and for the future to promote peace. That's a woman who steps into the middle of a difficult situation and takes two very opposite sides and says, listen, it's time for the fighting to stop. It's time for us to come together and for there to be forgiveness and there to be peace. And finally, we should speak, we we should seek peace between others and God. We should seek peace between others and God. And here is the ultimate of what I'm going to tell you about being a peacemaker. It is that we have the awesome privilege of being able to introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the incredible opportunity to be able to tell others about how God has changed our lives and how God can change their lives. Isn't that what Ephesians 6 Uh, Verse 15 is talking about when God's giving the armor of the Christian, and he says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of? Come on now. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of? Okay, we're doing better. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of? It's a beautiful thing to share the gospel of peace with someone who doesn't know the Lord. And this is what the Apostle Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know that everybody who's a believer in Jesus is an ambassador of the heavenly kingdom? Every one of us. We're all representing the Lord in this earth. And you know what we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. And that might be between two people who have an interpersonal problem. But it certainly means that we ought to be introducing other people to Jesus Christ who can make them his children and forgive their sins and give them the gift of eternal life. Amen? The ministry of reconciliation. We need to be peacemakers within ourselves, with others, between others, and between others and God. We need to be committed to to, to making peace or being peacemakers in every sphere of influence in our lives, at home, at work, at school, in the church, in the community, and if you're given an opportunity, even in the world. I want you to say this beatitude with me out loud. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called the sons of God. Let's say it together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So when you sit down this afternoon at that dinner table at the restaurant, remember that waiter has an eternal soul. Those people sitting around you have eternal souls. Those neighbors that you glad hand every once in a while and speak to out in the yard, they have eternal souls. And the ultimate of being a peacemaker is introducing them to Jesus Christ.